everyone. Welcome to another new episode of Oh My Lit. This is Tanuja. And I am Rosa and we're still here. We still exist. Yay! I'm very excited about today's episode. I've been wanting to interview this author since last year. I'm very excited about the book. I think everybody should read this book. This book is amazing. And the author has decided to join us from California. So there's going to be a massive time difference, but we've made it work. We finally made it work. It it's been a long process, but we are finally talking to the author of a uh, Bandit Queens that I'm sure you have seen all over like your for you page and your Twitter page and everywhere. This book talks about Gita who has lost her no good husband five years ago, but the village thinks that she's a self-made widow and this reputation is a double-edged sword. She enjoys the perks of being the alleged husband killer in town and she also has to protect the life she's built. It's filled with clever criminals, second chances and weary and witty women. But in Ishraf, the bandit queen, is a sharp debut of humor and heart that readers won't soon forget. Dude, this book was hands down amazing. It has dark humor, it has badass women and it's set in a rural backdrop of India. What's not to love? It's amazing. And for me, it was so illuminating because, like, I don't know anything about all of this. So it was such fun. Yay! I'm so glad you loved it. Well, without any delay, let's get Parini Shroff. Welcome, Parini, to the show. We're so happy that you came to visit us. Even with the time difference and with everything, you made such a great effort and we're very pleased to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Parini, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, I work part-time as an attorney in a law firm in the Bay Area in Palo Alto, California. And I write part-time, which is how I was able to churn out the manuscript of the Bandit Queens. <laughs> Fantastic. And this is your debut novel. How are you feeling? You must be excited. It is exciting. It's thrilling to the writing process is so solitary that it's wonderful to share it and like have this expanding mm-hmm. circle of people reading and responding to these characters that were just in your head for a long time. It's also a bit anxiety producing simply because when a work is out there, uh, it's no longer yours. It's no longer just your baby. It is accessible so to everybody who in this day and age and social media can just reach out to you who can find you and so there there are bits that are thrilling and bits that make me feel maybe a little more vulnerable than I used to be if that makes sense yes yeah 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 it's completely understood that um were you one of those authors that started writing during lockdown and during COVID I have been writing most of my life I think I started writing little short stories when I was six or seven and My parents were like, okay, this is a fun little hobby, but it never really left me. I just continued writing. And then I I remember being in undergraduate uh, university and I changed my major from pre-med to creative writing without telling my parents. (laughs) And wow. Yes. (laughs) This is Indian families. Absolutely. I feel you. I I think I redeemed (laughs) myself a little bit in their eyes when I went to law school, but then I quit my law firm job to go get my master's in fine arts. And so I just, it was like, it was like an affair that I just was not shaking. And they finally 
realized that this wasn't a hobby. This was part of my identity and I wasn't going to stop. The Bandit Queens, thankfully, is my debut, but it's not my first manuscript. So it's all the more sweeter to have it out in the world. And right. So I've just, I've been writing my whole life. It's such a core part of who I am. To answer your question. Yes. I started writing this manuscript in lockdown. It was originally a short story that I wrote back in 2013 and when I, ret- when I reread it, wow. when I reread it in 2020, I said, mm-hmm. hey, you know, there's a larger world here. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. And, and what was your inspiration for this story? Because the world is so well built and all the characters are so well fleshed out. Oh, thank you. I was visiting my family in India because my, my, at that time, my brother and my father still lives there. My extended family all lives in Gujarat, in Ahmedabad, Gujarat. And I was visiting one summer and my father at that point was involved in financing microloan in a village outside of Ahmedabad. So we took a day trip, my father, my brother and I, oh. and we sat in on a loan meeting with these women and it was so cool. I was like, there's something here. I was like something, I knew right then and there I was going to write a, a short story about that would involve this microloan meeting. And I did, but it I thought I was writing about money. In the short story, I was writing about money. At that point, it was just Farah and, and Gita. And that's the very beginning of the novel. Yeah. Farah approaches Gita to seek Gita's help so that she can get rid of her husband because he's stealing her microloan money. Mm-hmm. And then in 2020, when I reread the short story, I was like, maybe this isn't just about money. Maybe this is about the patriarchy and female friendship and oppression and, mm-hmm. yes. and all these other themes uh, came to light. And I think that was that was really the inspiration was these I returned to these characters and I thought, hey, there's more here, including in the short story version, there's a character called Saloni and she was a very minor character. I'm not even sure she was named in the short story version, but her past with Gita suddenly became this trajectory that I wanted to explore. I wanted to explore why they were friends and then they were estranged and then maybe the possibility of a reunion with these women. Mm-hmm. I love that uh, the way you never you as a reader you can you can never predict how the story begins in the writer's mind and which characters came first so that's really interesting to know i personally before we started recording i told you that i we wanted to interview you from last year cuz yeah. i saw the title of this book and i you know i've lived in india the bandit queen rosa i don't know if you know is an actual movie based on an actual person an actual bandit queen called fulan devi she's obviously in the book that's that's a real life character and i just had the vibes i just had the movie in front of me i haven't seen that movie in ages but i saw the cover and i saw the title and i was like oh my god is this to do with fulan devi at that time <laughs> i'd had no idea what the story was and i was like this is going to be badass this is going to be a bunch of women who are going to be bad i just knew that as soon as i saw the name that's why we were so i was like rosa we have to get this author on mm-hmm. and we've been We've been in touch with your publicist since like 2022. So <laughs> I was so excited to get this book yeah. in my hands. My question is, did you know when you fleshed out the short story to a bigger one that you were going to give that nod to Fulan Devi and the Bandit Queen, the movie? That's a great question. I didn't realize that, I think, until maybe midway, like May 2020. And so at that point, I've been writing for a, a couple months. <laughs> Uh, it just seems like I, like you, I feel like I've known the the myth and the legend of Fool and Baby for a very long time. And it just seemed 
organic to me when I was writing Gita's character and fleshing her character out. She starts the novel off in such a lonely and isolated place. And I figured, like the village, she's a pariah. Nobody talks to her. They don't respect her. And I thought to be Gita, to live in this small village and get out of bed every day and go to work and buy your groceries and face people who say awful things about you. I thought Gita had to pull from a power source larger than herself in order to get out of bed. Right. And at that point, the, yes. the, the, the story, the remarkable story of Fulan Devi just, it seemed like an opportunity to pay homage to the real life woman and also have that be part of, of Gita's journey, like have her story, Fulan Devi's story, inspire Gita and these other women. So I thought it would be a nice way to pay homage mm-hmm. and also educate readers because while uh, yeah. in, Indians are, are very familiar uh, with like she has Fulan Devi has a notoriety actually she's just uh, she's such a large life character I thought you know th- there are plenty of people who don't know that this is a real story that happened to a mm-hmm. real woman and I thought oh this is a, a great a, a great way to educate entertain and also pay respect yeah. do you want to tell us the legend of Fulan Devi for our listeners who might not Absolutely. know that this character actually exists in yeah. real life yeah uh, Fulan Devi was born a Dalit woman in a village in northern India and from a young age it was clear that she had an irrepressible spirit like she committed her first act of protest at the age of 10. And that's probably why her family married her off to a much older man. She was 11 and he was 33. And it was an abusive marriage. She ran away multiple times, was sent back multiple times until she eventually uh, joined up with a gang. And as a member of that gang, she both committed and was subjected to a series of violent crimes before she was ultimately imprisoned. And she spent 11 years in jail before her eventual release. And then she she became a politician and uh, an activist. And then she was assassinated when she was only 37 years old. So it was just a brief, wild, tragic, uplifting life in just the span of less than four decades. And it's it's so remarkable. And, and when people, I think, uh, read the book or get to the end of the book and they see the author's note and they realize that this is a real, this was a real woman. I am like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I could not have made that up. <laughs> it's it's, it's yeah. such a remarkable life that it like, exceeds what fiction is capable of. But it fits so well and you can see why she's Gita's role model. Mm -hmm. And how their characters sort of almost does like a parallel with their character and where Gita draws her inspiration, like her strength from uh, in the face of all that injustice. Mm -hmm. It's such an incredible story. I was amazed to learn about her, but I love those kind of characters. I love the kind of good for her characters. Revenge against your abuser, it always makes me very happy. And we are very much in, in game for these kind of stories in, in Oh My Lit. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to to also ask you what made you choose to highlight this part of India. You you told us you told us that your father was doing these microloans. But I was wondering, did you have to do also a lot of research and preparation for this book? Or was this something was this information that you had available and handy? I think a little bit of both. The village, fictional village that the novel takes place in, it's a composite of various villages, primarily in, in Gujarat that I've been to. And I think the beauty of, of having a fictional setting is that you can pull from a variety of sources without being beholden yeah. to any one place. Um, so that was a lot yeah. from just my memory and my experience. 
But as I mentioned, as we talked about, I wrote this during lockdown. And so I was having trouble with senses such as smell and visual details. They were escaping me. And so what I did was I took to I took to YouTube because on YouTube, like everybody with a cell phone is just recording random stuff. And I saw these videos and it was wonderful. There are these brief clips, like just someone walking around their village or driving by in you know, oh, an wow. auto or something like that. And it was it triggered all these other memories and details. And so I really think YouTube was invaluable in reminding me of sense memories that that were escaping me just because I was stuck in my at my kitchen table writing this novel. And so there were I think there was a little bit of research there. But also I for previous projects I've really studied uh, the Dalit rights movement. And so that research proved itself useful mm-hmm. and relevant when writing this book as well. That's I did not know that that you could just go on YouTube. I, I mean, it makes complete sense. I would love to go see that. Sometimes I miss home if somebody has a recording of just walking around in my city. That would be there. Amazing. You'd be absolutely. They do. They absolutely do. It's so strange. And some of them get like you know maybe four views. I think I was yeah. yeah. I was probably all four views like various devices. But, but it was invaluable to me like I should probably reach out and say thank you because you helped me yeah yeah also this the sense of smell it's so linked to memory that is incredible like whenever you put it in a book you're immediately transported to the place that the book is described I love that you're right. I definitely felt like I've been to that village. Like I've, I obviously know these people. Like I've seen these people. Like I, I, I would know these people definitely. I want to go back to Farah and Gita. Their characters, obviously, it's Gita's point of view and her life. And we start off immediately by knowing that she is an outcast. And all your characters are really well fleshed out. They have a lot of nuance and they have their own particular problems that they're dealing with but with Gita and Farah who are like I would say Farah is like the instigator of this story how how did you like develop their characters you you obviously said that this is something you know that it was inspired by a short story and the short story was inspired by these women that you saw uh, when you went to the village with your dad were were these were these the problems of those women that you heard Or is this something that you sort of attached to them? This wasn't, there were no complaints such as this. The only complaints the women had in the microloan group was that they wanted bigger loans because they wanted to expand their businesses, which I thought was awesome. (laughs) They were like, our our chief complaint is that the loans are too small. We we need more. We're exceeding, which is great, right? Like you'd love to hear that. These problems, the, the characters' problems, Farah's husband stealing and Gita's ostracization were just developed from my very dramatic brain because as I was sitting on this loan meeting in a village of a very patriarchal country, I was just thinking, this is my writer brain, like what if, what if, right? And I just thought, well, what's, these loans are empowering these women, but what is stopping men from exerting their dominance and, and stealing and that led down the path of what will these women do to to survive? Because all of them do. They're no. I don't think they're real heroes. Like Gita and these cast of women, there are, are are protagonists, but they're not always heroic. They're making questionable decisions. Uh, they are killing people. They are turning on each other. Right? Like loyalties are 
shifting. Motives are constantly shifting. And I think that was really at the heart of it, at the heart of characterizing each woman was, what will they do to survive? What will they do to provide for themselves and their families? And I feel like these women were cornered by men and problems in their life. And mm. that's when their strength was revealed. Yeah. And it was question like their acts were questionable, but it was their strength coming through at every point. Yeah. In in this podcast, we're also big fans of Live Love Slaughter. <laughs> if you have to kill someone to to protect the people you love, ah, it's it's not a big deal. It's not a big it's, deal. It's fine. Yeah, you gotta do, you know. Like, and honestly, that resonates with Pool and Baby's theme too, right? Like, her, she made a lot of questionable decisions. Yeah, she was cornered. She was trying to survive, and I think that the parallels and the themes translate. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. You're always talking about sisterhood, women, jealousy, greed. You have showcased such a wide breadth of qualities in your characters. It was absolutely incredible. We enjoyed it so much. I keep on saying it, but it's for real. Thank you. <laughs> How important was for you to to showcase sisterhood and to showcase like not only the support between women, but also these kind of like backstabbing and complications in the sisterhood? It was very important for me to have shades of gray, not only in the characters themselves, but in, with their dynamics with each other, because that's realistic. Like women mm -hmm. and female friendships are so complicated and nuanced. And there's like almost politics yeah. to it, especially when you have a group of women. And I remember this from, you know, my, my own childhood and, and, high school and college and yes we mature but i'm not sure how much core things like that really, really change like sometimes mm -hmm. i don't know i think i appreciate my female friends yeah. more thankfully i'm smarter and wiser in that way but there yeah. are there are constantly shifting dynamics i was at a bachelorette or a hen party i should say a few weekends ago and there were weird dynamics. I was like, what is, what is happening? What's yep. going on? Is oh there a cold God. shoulder here? And obviously there's love and everything was fine, but it's so complex yeah. and it's so fascinating to me. And, and that was in fleshing out these characters. I think that was really important to keep in mind. I was like, not yeah. everybody is kind all the time. Not everybody is as supportive as they should be all the time. And when you finally put the us above the me, that's when these women get things done. And by get things done, I mean, get, you know, yeah. kill men. Yeah. <laughs> get things done. Get the murders done. <laughs> um, it's really interesting you said that because, one, I'm going to a bachelorette party next month. No. <laughs> so, uh, I'm scared. No, I, I think it'll be good fun. You're going to come back with a book. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be good fun. But Rosa and I was talking about this like the other day that we yeah, have some people in our lives who are not who are not, you know you you think women will all be supportive we are in that age where it's like girl power and you have the backing of everybody you're surrounded by but it's always not so much the case rosa uh <laughs> and we had this chat and we were we were kind of surprised and then you have to sort of figure out these people who are yours and who will champion you and it's only when push comes to shove you kind of sort of see who matters and who gets things done and who you can rely on. So I thought that that nuance was perfectly sort of captured in your book. Thank you. It's yeah. very realistic. I hope so. Also, the other thing in this book is there's so much, there's so many issues you've touched on. Like you've, you've gone all out. There's 
there's the loan shark system, there's the dowry system, there's the rapes and the molestations, there's like domestic abuse, there's abuse of animals. You managed to do it without really overwhelming me as a reader. And you did it with a lot of humor. Well, I have two questions. Did you plan it to be so all-encompassing to address all these issues? And the humor carried it through so well. You know, these these are heavy topics that... Yeah, I love dark humor, first of all. And these are really heavy topics that are not easy to, like, navigate with humor, uh, making sure the reader keeps going. And I kept going. It was very tough for me to put put this book down. So I I just wondered, like, how did you instill that humor while writing? Well, the the humor kept creeping in during like anytime I got these women together in terms of banter or observations of like absurdities of daily life and also absurdities of things that we consider a culture or that's just how it is. It's like, well, it's absurd and it shouldn't be like that. Like women, like Mm -hmm. there shouldn't be a patriarchy Mm -hmm. and there shouldn't be a caste system and it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. and it's dangerous, but it's absurd. And I'm going to call it out as absurd. So the humor actually just kept creeping in. And I, at first I resisted. I thought, you know, I don't want to minimize any of these issues I'm talking about. But at some point I had to just stop editing myself and just let myself write. And the humor presented itself and carried through. And then I realized that it's not minimizing the issues that I, I want to address. It was highlighting them. And the dark comedy was really helping yeah. to, it was preventing the text from like collapsing under the, its own weight. It was serving as like a foil and a, and a bolster so that the reader like, you, like wants to keep reading because they're not just so yeah. overwhelmed by the weight of all this because it's true. It's a lot. It's a lot. And mm-hmm. it's also true to life. There is humor in life and humor is how we survive and humor is how we register and move on and heal. And all these women needed to do that. They needed to yeah. heal and move on and live. And so the humor just seemed organic, mm-hmm. really. It reminded me of this Bollywood movie I recently saw in Rose. I think I've already like suggested this movie to you. It's Alia Bhatt's movie, Darlings. And I don't know if you've seen it, Parini, but it's it's also very similar where she's suffering mm-hmm. from like abuse yeah. from her husband. So it's heavy and it's very sad. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes darkly comic when mm-hmm. she starts abusing him in return. And like she yeah. kind of kidnaps, kidnaps him. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And you're kind of like supporting her. You're like, you're committing yeah. a crime, babe, but I'm with you. Please, please like punish him more. And I found this book in the same vein. And it's, it's, I just, I just loved that. I was, there's many points in the book where I was just smiling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I realized the other day that I'm not watching dramas that that don't have any humor on them because I refuse to accept that life doesn't have humor. Like you can give me any kind of movie, but it needs a couple of laughs, even if it's just a tiny bit of dark humor on it. Because I I don't I don't think that life is not laughable at like even if in your worst moments you're always going to find a silver lining or something that is so ridiculous or so stupid that you can't help but laugh so I really appreciated that in your book it was thank you I totally agree I no no with what I watch not uh not flattering myself there I I absolutely need to watch (laughs) <laughs> I totally agree. My book is amazing. I'm so humble. Oh, uh, I, I I absolutely seek out content that has like 
dark humor or kind of just slice of life or isn't this ridiculous like i'm struggling with this heavy issue and then this random thing happens and i find it so realistic yeah yeah Yeah. and bandit queens is so rich in culture and history and folk tales that i didn't know because like it's not my culture so i absolutely love it (laughs) and it touches on the rural backdrop of india that is not something that we usually see in books did you have a specific reader in mind when you wrote this book I hoped it would appeal to women. And I also was writing, I mean, I I write in English. And with that, there's like a a nod to the Western world, especially since when I knew I would be submitting for publication, it would be in the US and in North America. And so there is a bit of the dark humor, I think, does appeal to Western audiences. And also I wanted to, you know, shed light on a lot of like the the folklore, like there's mentions of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. And I also, and Fulan Devi, who is a real life Indian woman. So there is like this eye of, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to educate or shed light to the West on this topic or this setting or this real life historical figure that they might not have access to, or they might not, it might not even be on their radar. So I think that would be my initial desire is to reach that and also expose, you know, the the horrors of the caste system for what it is. That might also be something the West is not uh, familiar with. But ideally, hopefully there is an appeal that is broad and and international. Like hopefully this book will be released in in India later this year. And I I hope that there are residents and citizens of India who pick it up and also feel like, oh, you know, I'm laughing or I know that or I can absolutely recognize that or that is how it is. And then, you know, the story can just be shared across uh, across borders, hopefully. Yeah, that's so. No, lovely. that's definitely going to happen. Like, just as an Indian myself, I, I just there were so many points in the book where I was like, yes. Also, you do talk about like they're not just like poor or in from a village, but it's also like the caste system that's going to be sort of. People are going to relate to that massively. And this is your debut novel. So this is your first book being published. Can you talk to us about your publishing journey? How was it getting signed, working with Atlantic Books in the UK and your press tour? It's been... Publishing this book has been a wonderful experience to have so many people within the publishing community respond so well to it. I will say that this is, like I mentioned before, this is not my first manuscript. And so this makes it sweeter because I have been through the yeah. submission mm-hmm. process before and, you know, unfortunately didn't take. And so, you know, you get, you, you dust yourself, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself yeah. off and you're like, I'm going to try this again. And yeah, you know, you put yourself out there through the submission process and it's nerve wracking and it's like, you get anxious, but then to, to get that response, it's like, wow, great. I'm so happy you liked it. The, the journey has thankfully been so wonderful. It started off in, in the U.S. where my agent submitted to various houses and imprints and it got picked up very quickly. And I worked with my U.S. editors who had just wonderful insights and helped make the book so much better along with my agent. And, you know, publishing in the U.K. as a U.S. author, it's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And so when the book went on further submission. And I realized that I was going to get a beautiful cover and a publication date in the UK. Like that was just an extra boon that I I did not expect. So I do not take for granted. So the fact that we're sitting here and we're able to have a conversation about this book is yeah. just, it's a real dream come true. Like literally. Oh, 
Oh my god, that's amazing. And we love mm-hmm. Atlantic books. I think we love a lot of what they come out with. So it's it's yeah. really in the same vein. Your book as well. Like I, I definitely see it as a good Yeah, they they're such a welcoming, <laughs> supportive, and creative. It's such a creative space. And they they have ideas and think of things that just constantly blow yeah. me away. I'm just like, wow, I'm so I'm so happy to be a part of this team and for the book to have a home with Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I always ask this question to authors because I'm always interested to know how much has changed and how much remain the same. When you finish your manuscript and then you went, you know, you got an agent, you got an editor, uh, how much has the book changed? Has it changed massively? Was that like a lot of structural changes or has it not changed? That That's much? a great question. And I, I will say that everything but the last two chapters of the novel fell out in a linear sweep that has stayed by and large the same the last two chapters of this novel took me as long as the rest of the novel combined to write like I really struggled with the ending oh my god it's completely understandable you have to cross your teeth and dot your eyes it is and like Mm -hmm. I created a mess with this novel like I landed these women in various soups and then I have to get them out I'm like what (laughs) how do I tie this because you know, you, you engage in a contract of sorts with, with a reader, right? Like you, as a reader, have invested your time, which is valuable, into st- like going on this journey. Like you're trusting me to take you on a journey. And I have to satisfy you. Like it doesn't have to be a happy ending, but I have to satisfy the reader. And yeah. so I was like the last two chapters were just such a grind. I wrote, I think, 16 endings before wow. we landed on what we decided and and I couldn't have even gotten there without without my agent without my friends who read thankfully because they're so generous with oh. their time who read every iteration and then my editors also like I it was that it, it pun intended it took a village <laughs> yeah <laughs> we love it we oh love it I mean I'm you have satisfied me with the ending I will say I will not I had like I had like my own ideas, obviously, but I was happy to like shut the book and be like, okay, yeah, okay, I see how that panned out. Okay, that's really interesting. See, I'm honestly not much of an ending person. Like, I don't care how a book ends, but I do love the journey, and yeah. the journey with your book was incredible. Oh, great! Thank yeah. you, thank you so that's much. True. I love hearing that. We're so glad you've like joined us here. I just want to ask you, what's what's next in in your journey are you writing another book uh, do you have a, like a lot of press like interviews and tours mm-hmm. to do uh, yeah, yeah. What, what are you looking forward to next I am writing a new novel I don't outline so I have no idea where it's going hopefully somewhere good uh, <laughs> but it's been it's been slower because you know it, in lockdown I didn't have to go to the office yeah. I was working yeah. remotely and I was writing and it was just what else was I going to do now with the promotions for the bandit queens mixed with uh, working mixed with writing has been so i'm writing but it's it's going slower than i would care for like i'm very impatient because i remember what the process was like (laughs) in 2020 and it's not fair to compare and it's doing me it's not doing me any favors it's not gonna be the same it's not the same it's not the same at all and i'm so grateful i mean i wouldn't i love i love promoting the book i love having chats such as ours i love doing all the things to to get the word out about the bandit queens yeah but it it does make shifting Mm -hmm. focus to like the new novel with this new world and these new characters and what drives them it makes it a bit slower so we'll we'll see but i Mm -hmm. yeah i'm working on a new novel that is a dark comedy 
Oh, lovely. Yeah. I love that. Love Are you coming over the pond? Are you coming to visit us here anytime? I hope so. I would like to. I'm definitely, I'm going to be in Ireland and Scotland in May for a wedding and I'm extending my stay. And I would, depending on uh, what people want or what my editors want I'd be happy to just you know make an impromptu trip that too I'd also love to stop over on my way to India because I haven't I haven't been to India in quite some time and that is uh, gnawing at me I I have the itch I need to go I need to go so I absolutely see myself popping over either as a part of another trip or to come Mm -hmm. and and do events or do whatever there is request for I will I will do it Oh, I surely hope you make it, and I hope that you get to do some like in-person events because I think that that's this is the perfect book for that. And it's been so yeah. exciting talking to you. I know like the audience would love to hear from you more. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And we love our chats now that we can do things in person again. Yes, <laughs> we've missed it. Yes, same. I mean, there's just an energy you get in person that is lovely right like when you're in front of people and they're responding and Mm -hmm. laughing right like laughing together is so wonderful as opposed to like laughing on say zoom or something you know I forgot to ask is your next book also set in India or is it set in America or the new novel is set in a city in India not a village but in my mind it's Ahmedabad in Gujarat because that is the city that I am most familiar with in India lovely I'm looking forward to that I'm so looking forward yeah. to that. It's going to be in on our TBR. Yes, definitely. And we'll have you o- over again yeah. when it comes out. Yay, I would <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I, I hope that it, it's a different novel, but I hope that it makes people laugh and teaches people maybe something that they didn't know already. Yes. Yeah. Well, Prini, thank you so, so much for coming over, for joining us, and for being so forthcoming with your answers. Oh, yeah. And it, sharing all your writing processes and your experience with us this has been amazing and I can't wait for people to pick up this book and like you said it it does have the most beautiful cover in fact US and UK both have really beautiful covers I can't get over them Uh, the creative teams just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. Tanu was a bit mad that we got the ARC because she was <laughs> so in love with the proper cover. It's so gorgeous <laughs> with the gold because the arc yeah. the arc had yellow what what and what ultimately turned out to be gold. And I didn't know that. So when I got it, I was a surprise for me. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is art. It's gorgeous. They did a they did a uh, fantastic yeah, job. They really did. And I really love that the there's <laughs> there's dark and there's color, and I feel like that really encapsulates the tone mm-hmm, of the book, mm-hmm. like the group dynamic with the hands yep. and the colors yes. and the the dark noir. But I just think that it they nailed the tone, and I I'm just so proud to have like my name yeah. attached to something so such a beautiful cover. Oh, the hot pink as well. Like I love the pink. Yes, yeah. look at that. It's a power color. Oh. Pink is a power color. Yeah. Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, to our listeners, the book comes out. Well, Rosa will tell you when the book comes out. But please do go get the book in the shops, and I I can't wait to get my hands on the on the finished copy as well. The book comes out on the 2nd of March, 2023. So hurry up. Uh, as you know, in this house, we only buy from local bookshops. Yes. Because. Don't say it. Don't say we it. We hate Amazon. 
it's in my contract. I have to say it every single episode. <laughs> because we support local bookshops and because Rosa... <laughs> yeah, deals with Amazon and hates it. So <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Farini. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. And thank you so much to our listeners. I hope you enjoy this episode. And again, and as always, please subscribe to our podcast, like, make comments, tell us we're gorgeous, tell us we're so funny. It's incredible. You cannot believe you found a podcast like ours. Yes, please listen to Rosa and leave us a review. It will help other people know that we exist. All the links will be given in the episode's description. Don't forget to check out the book and join us for the next episode. Bye-bye.